0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Do
1: you guys catch that uh, Bruce Cassidy quote from a little while back where Vegas had played pretty poorly? And uh, he's like, the way we played, we couldn't even beat uh, Arizona in January.
0: Yep. (laughs) There's something about the turnovers. He's like, oh, we had 24 turnovers. That wouldn't even beat. Arizona in January. Yep.
1: <laughs> the Coyotes are there like, what the hell? We're not even in the room when we're catching strays. We have our, enough of our own stuff going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, wow. Just really pulling that out of nowhere. <laughs> At least they didn't say Detroit. <laughs> they were like, hey, come on.
1: How was Detroit in January was... Good. Oh, that w- Had they rebounded by then? That was when they were starting to ramp up yeah. to their their quote-unquote playoff run. Yeah, yeah, Bye. Uh, Anyhow, it was funny. He actually, I think, just apologized for that, which like oh, I come on.
0: I guess makes sense. I mean I no, can see sorry. him. Messaging... I'm sorry to Arizona, I actually meant Chicago. <laughs> Chicago
1: would have been like, Yeah, that's pretty fair. Yeah. We did that intentionally, actually. I could see him messaging Turnier and saying, Yeah, probably not the nicest thing of me to do. Anyhow. Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast, folks. Uh, here to talk about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the NHL draft, the uh, the coaching and GM carousel happening across the league, uh, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna.
2: I'm the human embodiment of the Arizona Coyotes in January. And I'm Evan. I
1: agree with you, Brad. You are the human embodiment of the Arizona Coyotes in January. Evan and I have felt so for a long time. I, I very much feel like it. And I'm not apologizing for that one. That's okay. I'm going to get so many comments saying, why is Ryan so mean to Brad?
2: Well, no, it, it all works out. Cause the way our dynamic is I usually give Ryan about 10 before <laughs> I retort. But then like when I come back, it's, it's usually right to his core.
1: That's a, <laughs> that's a real father, uh, uh, playbook right there. Yeah. I'll
2: forget every insult you've ever said to me, but I'll make sure you remember when I, when I finally
1: give it back. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the first time the three of us are out on the golf course and I'm losing in third place by like 40 strokes. That's when it's really going to hurt me. I'm going to remind you every hole that I hadn't picked up a club in two years. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, some relevant Red Wings news. Uh, uh, On this day, there's two different dates that we'll talk about today. Uh, Sebastian Cosa and his season wrapping up in Toledo. Uh, some potential interest in Alex Tange across the NHL and potentially the AHL. Our next prospect profile, uh, which is a defenseman who's rocketed up the boards. We will also take a look at the Stanley Cup playoffs now that they're set. Florida and Vegas in the uh, all no tax state Stanley Cup final. Uh, be hard pressed to decide who's the favorite there, and then we'll get into some NHL news with uh, GMs, coaches, etc. Changing places, and uh, we'll see what else we get to before overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast uh, is supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com/slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to uh, join the so-called Dub Dub Club, you get access to some really great benefits, including our bonus episodes, which record right after these ones, uh, in which everyone lets loose. Uh, talks about uh, whatever they want. Evan has free reign, which is always dangerous. Um, And uh, we've often been told it's actually, uh, they enjoy those more than the main episode. So thank you for that. Uh, You also get access to our Patreon exclusive discord, which is an excellent community. uh, And you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, For example, this past season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game. The vast majority going directly to Patreon supporters. Again, that's patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. On this day, May 31st, uh, in 2002, Detroit played what is still my favorite game of all time that I've ever watched. Game seven of the Western Conference Finals against the Colorado Avalanche, seven, nothing. Chasing Patrick Wall in the process, the fans in the uh, Agilus Arena all singing, na, 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 na. It was just the perfect end to what was one of the best series I've ever watched. And obviously Detroit went on to win the cup that year. Uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes, who beat Toronto, Gary Roberts led Toronto at the time, um, and the Hurricanes were backstopped by none other, none other than Archer's Urbe, who had uh, black holes for pads. Those pads were older than Brad.
0: They were. They're like they're like mattresses.
1: M- maybe literally. Actually, it would have been close. Anyhow, that game, top three, top five for you both? Oh, easily.
0: Yeah,
1: 100%. Who came in after Patrick Waugh? Was that Abisher? David Abisher. David Abisher. Oh, yeah, that's man, right. Oh man,
0: what a throwback I name know. that is.
1: I felt bad for him too, because I remember there was a pass across the slot and they ended up scoring on him as well. Uh, a Datsuk, oh, Datsuk one-timer
2: that, I forget the abs defenseman, who actually got a lot
1: of it and really slowed it down, but it still had just enough to get over. Yeah. And his pad was outstretched and it just beat him. Yep. Yeah. And then also in 2008, six years later, this is the, uh, ant- well, I guess the 15th anniversary of Henrik Zetterberg's famous penalty kill, the 5-on-3 penalty kill with, with the, one of the greatest stick checks in Red Wings history on uh, Sidney Crosby at the side of the net in obviously what was a pivotal game. Detroit ended up winning that 2-1 and went on to win the cup that year as well. I hate that you pointed out that was 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was.
0: That's craziness.
1: That's, uh, the passage of time is hard to reckon with, but May 31st, good year for the, or a good day for the Red Wings.
0: It is.
2: It should, it should be a national holiday, but you know, we'll keep petitioning until they accept it.
1: More in Red Wings news. Sebastian Cosa. Max Boltman just uh, recently wrote uh, an article on Sebastian Cosa's end to the, his season with the Toledo Walleye. I'll link to it in the description of this episode. But, uh, Sebastian Cosa's season is over. The Walleye, uh, fell in the conference final in the ECHL. Uh, to Idaho, um, Kosa had overall a really strong season in playoffs. Um, he ramped up as the the season went on. The last game didn't go as go to plan. He actually ended up getting pulled. I think his four goals on nine shots, it, debatable on how many of those were actually you know on Kosa, but still not the way he wanted it, the season to end. But end of the playoffs, uh, seven games played, five wins, two losses, a nine seventeen save percentage and a two thirty two goals against average, capping off what has to go down as. This is what we want to see from Sebastian Cosa type of season, right?
2: Yeah. So, you know, retrospectively, we can be very happy with Costa's season. We saw what we wanted to see. The results were roughly what we wanted them to be. And looking forward, he should never play another game for Toledo. That, that should be the uh,
1: expectation at this point because he did so well in Toledo. That has to be it. Like he has to do enough in camp next year to to make Grand Rapids specifically. He should be my expectation would be he's pushing to start in Grand Rapids at at the very worst of 50 50 platoon. By the end of the season, I could understand if at the start maybe he'd he he does not win the job outright. He had a hard time making the jump initially to pro hockey. So I, I guess that depends on how his off season goes and and how prepared he is coming into camp. But if he transitions okay then yeah i think it shouldn't take too long before he has at least half of the the share of games well for me
2: yeah cuz it comes down to development right costa playing a third of the games i don't care what league he's in that can't be part of his development path right now he needs to be playing and i don't think another you know how we always talk about players progressing levels and you know you don't want any of their development path to be redundant He already had a good year in the ACHL. He doesn't need another good year in the ECHL. And considering that's still two levels below the NHL, you want him to progress. If he has, you know, two or three very good years in the AHL before they call him up to the NHL, I understand that. If he has one rough year this year in the AHL, which is honestly the likely occurrence, but then you could see him, much like in the ECHL this year, rough start, get better and better and better, and then build into another AHL season, sure. yeah, But... Uh, The expectation for me has to be playing a significant amount of games for Grand Rapids next year. And that's not a negative. I'm saying this because he had such a good season in the ECHL, because he did what we wanted him to do, because his development tracked what we would hope a prospect of his caliber would do at that level.
1: Yeah, I I want to call out very specifically – Top, though, it may be to stomach, it's not common for goalies to go down to the ECHL at any point, uh, like a goalie's drafted where he's drafted, to go down to the ECHL and them come out and have a phenomenal career. Not to say Kosa's locked into that, I I think, you know, goalie development is an ever-changing process and the league has changed quite a bit, Uh, but Kosa has a mountain ahead of him, as any goalie does, but he really has a lot of added pressure that he probably doesn't feel and shouldn't feel, but the organization should feel because of the draft stock that they used on him. So him going down to the ECHL, again, it's not like that was a terrible thing, but it has to be a one and done. So yeah, next stop, Grand Rapids for Sebastian Kosa, and you would want him to have, like you mentioned, Brad, a mirror season to what he had in the um, ECHL up in the AHL. It depends on the quality of the team. A goalie can't, isn't going to, you know, post an unreal save percentage if his team has got awful. So Grand Rapids has to be better than they were last season. But yeah, with Kosa, I thought after what was a little bit of a rocky start, he took the steps needed to. And like you said, Brad, a goalie of that caliber at that level, he played as you would hope he would. So uh, all good stuff so far. Now on to the next thing. He has to have a big off season and uh, Grand Rapids I mean, Red Wings and Grand Rapids really have to focus on making sure that he thrives at the next level. Okay. Uh, speaking of Red Wings, uh, they're coaching. They are, they're looking for Sean Hork- Horkoff, Red Wings uh, assistant GM and uh, the GM of the Grand Rapids Griffins is looking for the next Grand Rapids head coach. Uh, a lot of names floating around, some from Toledo. Uh, Alex Tange's name has been floated there. Uh, Alex Tange is obviously the Red Wings assistant coach right now. Uh, Overseeing the power play and a lot of the offense, so you know there's uh, when he came to the NHL, it was to build experience and hopefully get a head coaching job one day. And so I could see him, you know, going down to Grand Rapids as a head coach and have his first head coaching gig. Period, because he was an assistant coach, I believe, with the Iowa Wild uh, prior. Uh, And Tanga's name has also been attached to the Calgary Flames job. Craig uh, Craig Conroy and Jerome Ginlo over there uh, know him and like him. And Elliot Friedman has reported. Multiple times that they would be interested, which is, you know, so to speak, they are. Uh, that's a broad search, Calgary, but Tenge is starting to get some noise around his name.
2: Yes, when you are um, the offensive and power play guy and you are directing the vaunted Detroit Red Wings offense, that's going to get you lots of uh, looks around the NHL for sure. Brad
1: just hit us with the vaunted. Geez. You go to school today? You read a book for the first time? What happened? I think I had a stroke actually. <laughs> yeah, it's like when someone uh, has a stroke and they wake up and they have like an accent that they never had before. Yeah. You it's... woke up as a really smart person.
2: Yeah. I, I woke up and uh, someone actually just hit me over the head with a s- thesaurus. So <laughs> I, I don't know how that worked, but um, either way, uh, you know, good for tange And it's not, I, I'm obviously being facetious, but I, I like Alex Tangay as a coach. I understand that his problems with the Red Wings are more, the personnel he's directing than what he's doing because we did see fundamental shifts in the power play that were better some of the people executing it were not great at it uh so that's okay um their 5 on 5 offense left a lot to be desired still so it's not like Tange came in and, and was you know perfect and and doesn't have ways to improve i'm a little surprised that he's getting head coaching uh at the NHL level looks despite the familiarity in Calgary just because he's never been a head coach at any significant level. And his assistant coach experience at the NHL level, though we're not complaining, hasn't exactly been, you know, a, a banner ride. Um, it's not like he took this extremely pitiful Red Wings offense and jumped them into the top 10 of the league. They, they barely treaded water as it is, you know, they were one of the worst five on five offenses in the entire NHL. So, you know, again, saying all that understanding, it's mostly a personnel issue. Um, surprised Calgary's taking a look. Makes a lot of sense for Grand Rapids, though. A guy who had a very, very long career in the NHL has now got some coaching experience in the NHL going to Grand Rapids to run a program to help mostly players who have never been in the NHL understand what it takes to get to the NHL. I like that fit for Tange. Um, just, I I... Honestly, selfishly, I really want to see Grand Rapids get a, a good offensive mind down there because whatever we can do to get more offense into this organization is a, a good thing.
1: Yeah, you want to keep him in the organization, and he is a pick by, you know, Eisenman, Lalone. He's familiar, and, and you want someone who understands the the development. And I agree with you. You know, we saw enough from the Red Wings power play and offense to know that some things were sparked, but I, I the best assistant coaches in the NHL would have a hard time bringing that roster into like a highly productive one. So I would love to see what he can do with a, you know, relatively to, to their, the rest of the league, better Grand Rapids team, hopefully next season. You don't want them to be as bad as they were last year.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when I heard his name pop up for that job, I was somewhat surprised, but I can understand Grand Rapids. That makes a lot more sense to me. Familiar with the organization, um, understands what the what the Red Wings are looking for, and can help translate that down in Grand Rapids. But yeah, the Calgary position. I mean, you you interview everybody, and if it were if you see a, a solution there, then you go for it. But yeah, that one just sort of perplexed me a little bit. It, something to remember is
1: so much of the NHL happens behind the scenes, especially for positions where you can't necessarily see the effects so loudly. Like the coach, the head coach gets so much media time and so many press conferences. So you understand a little bit about what goes on behind their minds and uh, a lot of the attention is on them. And even that, you don't see the way a coach works in the background that that often. Uh, so for an assistant coach, I would not be surprised if there are completely invisible parts to this. Like he's great with the kids, gets them oriented in a way that you would never know about because it's not reported on or uh, is – Excellent with translating video to getting people to do different different things on the ice or, you know, connects with the guys in a way that the head coach can't or is really good at, you know, playing good cop or bad cop when need be or energy. like It's all stuff like that. And for him having such a long and storied NHL career and so many of his peers are now GMs and front office execs, like it, it just breeds more familiarity. And so I think that's why you see Tangy's name coming up a little bit sooner than other assistant coaches who have had to go through the grind probably for a lot longer, which I think you're right. Like yeah, they typically sense. do. Yeah. So that's all just conjecture. He seems to be really well liked across the league and, and, uh, as a player and now like a good hockey mind. So it, it, I do understand it. Well, and also the dynamic
2: of the Red Wings bench itself could be thrown off if he goes anywhere because he fits that mold of being
1: very bald. Hey man, five years and I'm going to be qualified but um, i got myself before brad could get me <laughs> <laughs> uh, today wasn't the day um
2: so hear me out hear me out for entertainment of this podcast and actually quality of coaching and to fit the theme the new if Tangi goes to calgary grand rapids the new we'll call it offensive coordinator of the detroit red wings are you with me here boos
1: boos boos oh boos i would i don't think I'm he would so- take
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: if you had to say Bruce Boudreau's name that often
0: yeah oh my double B's but,
2: listen I will pay parts of both their salaries if the Red Wings hire Bruce Boudreau and trade for Zach Wierenski <laughs> Evan resigns I'm,
0: yeah then I'm really in trouble
2: yeah we're gonna have to get <laughs> Now, don't get me wrong I don't think I don't think Boost would ever accept an assistant no. coaching position at this point but f- for the laughs for the content we need it yeah we need it pay him whatever it takes
1: as it is with summer episodes, it's early for us to be off the rails. So why don't I bring us in and uh, we'll talk about something that's going to be really relevant. The 2023 NHL Draft, uh, we're going to continue our prospect profile series with, whether you like it or not, a very important name within the top 10, uh, David Reinbacher, uh, Austrian player, uh, defenseman, right-handed defenseman, who uh, on some people's lists is you know, top five, top six, top seven, and probably the foremost defenseman that's going to be taken in this draft, barring some kind of surprise. So who is David Reinbacher? Is he actually worthy of a top five, six, or seven pick? And is this a potential choice for Red Wings at pick nine? Okay. So I'll I'll go
2: into who Reinbacher is as a player first before we get into the draft relevancy. So um I'll start by saying I really like David Reinbacher. He's a very very smooth very efficient very talented defenseman excellent skater excellent uh hockey IQ can read the play very very well um great gap control great positioning very very mature game for his age which i'm going to mention though cuz it's relevant he is a late birthday he's an october birthday so you know he's a year older than most of the players in this draft so you got to be careful when people use the phrase Draft eligible season uh, in the Swiss League versus U eighteen season because those are two different things. It is not his U eighteen season; it's his U nineteen season, even though it's his draft eligible draft eligible year. So, just some clarification on that. But even for his age, he plays a very, very intelligent, refined game. Easily the best defender, uh, like on the defensive side of the puck, in this draft, hands down. Um, so everything you look for in a defenseman from his own red line back is, is there and it's polished. Um, he's got some offensive upside. Like he, he's not inept in the offensive zone. And I know his detractors tend to say, yeah, he's great defensively, but what's there offensively? It's not anything spectacular, but. You can you see the signs that there's there's at least something there. Again, he's a good puck distributor. He reads the play well, which are the first two things you need to have in order to be a good offensive defenseman. He doesn't assert himself as much as I'd uh like to see for someone of his skill set. Um this is kind of why he gets those most cider comparisons, because the, you know, quote unquote top league, untapped potential, but I want to Differentiate that when Sider was playing in the DEL, he was a year younger and he was getting far less minutes, and he was playing a more sheltered role. Reinbacher is getting 20 minutes a night on a to- at a top level team, which is impressive in and of itself. But it's not like he wasn't getting the opportunities to assert himself offensively. He was playing a big role. Now I. Personally, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me on this, and and I understand why, I don't like the most cider comparison for Reinbacher.
1: Well, for one, he's like four inches shorter.
2: Yeah, and, um, but if we're talking stylistically, not talent level. I'm um, strictly speaking stylistically. I like him more to Haskinen, that kind of more efficient, fluid, you know, more cerebr- cerebral game. Whereas cider has that real strong physical element to his game that... I don't think Reinbacher has. Not that he shies away from it, but it's definitely not something he uses often or leans on. Um, The cider gets brought up because he's right-handed and quote-unquote untapped offensive potential because obviously everybody thought cider had none going into his draft. And that's my big concern with Reinbacher is people are banking on that cider. like, oh, there is offense here and I'm not sold on that. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility, and I know I've said it before, but it bears repeating here. Cider was the exception to that, not the norm. Most people who have that untapped offensive potential question don't ever get to the level that Cider did already. So, um, again, I like David Reinbacher as a player. I think a lot of his detractors are too harsh on him. Um, that being said, I don't like him in the top ten. This is a classic case of he's the best defenseman in the draft in a very weak draft, so he's getting elevated. It happened a couple drafts ago where all the centers went crazy because there weren't many and people were reaching for him because it was there. I don't think there's a single defenseman in this draft who's a top 10 talent. That's just the nature of the draft. So naturally, guys like Ryan Bacher and and Pelica and Willander are going to get elevated beyond where they probably actually fall
1: talent wise. I find that happens.
2: It happens every draft with pick a position, like usually centers in defense, but it always happens and it's understandable. But that being said, so where I ultimately fall is I actually really do like David Reinbacher. He's probably in the 10 to 12 range for me. So I'm not saying this to say, oh, he's terrible. Like he's elevated, like depending who you talk to three to six spots higher than where I have him, which isn't traumatic. So, like, at least even though people might be reaching on him in the draft, it's not a crazy reach. It's an understandable reach. But I don't like him for this draft, and I don't like him for the Red Wings at 9. Like, I shouldn't say don't like him. That's harsh. I like him. And I'd be perfectly happy if the Red Wings took him at 9. But there's a pretty lengthy list of players that I have. I would prefer the Red Wings take at 9. And no coincidence, all of them are forwards. Not only because I think they're better, but because I think that's what the Red Wings need.
1: David Reinbacher poisoned our water supply, burned our crops, et cetera, et cetera. No, I, I, I actually agree with you, Brad, Um, on most of that. What I will say is you make a great point about him being an overager. Uh, sorry, not overager. I keep doing that. A late birthday, and we explained that the other episode. Because of that cutoff, he had an extra year compared to his peers, uh, who were born before that mid-September cutoff. Uh, but I think it's hard, exceptionally hard for defensemen to be so mature and well-rounded defensively, especially at a young age. Now, he doesn't play in the world's best league, but it's not a bad league by any means. Uh, so I'm a little wary of how this projects. Um, I agree with you that it's not a one-to-one or really analogous at all to Cider, uh, But I think it is difficult to be a proficient defensive player at such a young age. So I do give him a lot of credit for that. All around, his all-around game, I agree. I have the same kind of uh, concerns, maybe not concerns, but I just... I'm not a massive believer that he's going to be a huge offensive uh, a powerhouse. Um, but yeah, a lot of other drafts for the Red Wings, I would love this pick for Detroit. If you could get a, you know, who you would view as uh, the heroic replacement just in terms of where he was in the lineup, not stylistically at ninth overall, I think that's that would be an excellent result for ninth overall. But Detroit needs scoring. They need offense. And typically that means forwards. And Reinbacher doesn't have the kind of game as a defenseman that means that he's going to bring that from the blue line. So is it the end of the world if Detroit picks him at nine? No, because I think he's an excellent defenseman. Um, I view him as like a nine. I could justify the pick at nine. Like no problem at all. Same as you. I would not be upset, but I would be concerned about what Detroit's plan is for forwards moving forward only because his peers, like you said in this draft, Brad, um, are so Talented offensively, or some of them have higher upsides that you can take. It may be a bigger swing. Reinbacher is a very—he's a high floor, but it's it's a safe, like it's a high floor, and it's a really good pick to make. You're you're pretty certain you're going to get a really good defenseman out of him. But how much offense you're adding to the team is is a question for me. So, do I like Reinbacher as a a prospect, and can I see the top ten justification? Absolutely, every day of the week. Is it what's best for Detroit? In my mind. I wouldn't make that pick. Uh, it would really depend on what else they do with their other pick, whether they trade it or or use it or whatever. Uh, but I'd be concerned about the amount of offense that they're adding. So it's not even a reflection of him. It's just the position Detroit's in.
0: Yeah, for me, David Reinbacher is extremely efficient in what he does. Is he the fastest skater in the world? No, not at all. But his his technique is, is amazing. And, you know, he... With a with excellent technique, you can you, you can increase foot speed, you can increase your agility. Um, he does struggle against faster players, so that's something to be worked on, and a skating coach can easily work that out of his game. Is he an offensive dynamo? No, but he gets a lot of pucks to the net, um, which is one of the <laughs> most difficult things for defensemen to do. He's excellent in trans- transition play, he's got great hockey IQ, and he plays effective defense already at his age. Like he screams top four defensemen to me. Um, And in this draft, it'll, for me, it'll just be a matter of who's going to be that team that takes him in the top 10. Um, It'll be Arizona. (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh,
1: it makes sense. And he's
0: right-handed, right? So teams covet those types of defensemen. Like he, he does everything very efficiently. He doesn't really flash have moments of flashiness to his game, but teams are going to love that. GMs love those types of defensemen. So you know what? The Red Wings take him at nine. Am I upset? No, not at all. Just like you guys. But like you guys said, the, the need for centermen and high offensive players in this, in this uh, organization is, is off the charts. So it wouldn't be my ideal pick, but man, having him to round out your top four for the foreseeable future would be, would be excellent.
2: And, Getting back to what you were saying about like the positionality there, it's, you know, right D is obviously a position of need for the Red Wings. But if I actually, the nice thing about this draft is the four prominent positions where there's going to be talented players available for the Red Wings are all of the four positions they need. But if I had to order them, it's literally going center, left wing, right wing, then right D, left D, goalie. So it's lining up nicely, but th- that position of need to me is still the fourth most important of the six positions on the ice. So, you know, as much as I like Reinbacher, man, do they need some offense. And coincidentally, this conversation times up really well with the uh, quote Barry Trotz had today, which I absolutely love. Oh, so good. It's the perfect drafting philosophy. And I know when we had uh, Reece, uh Jessup on here, he talked specifically about uh, at the time Carolina, how they drafted uh, Trotz is like, I can go find, you know, third and fourth liners. And you could obviously apply that to second and third pairing defensemen as well. He's like, go find me someone that will bring me out of their seats, like bring the fans out of their seats. And to me, this is kind of where Reinbacher falls. Do I think David Reinbacher would be? A so he
0: m- coached the Islanders.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, that's probably why he's saying it. He got real sick of having,
0: like,
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, please you God, under, give me someone. <laughs> yeah. Lou, please fire me. I'm tired of this. Yeah. Yeah, And then he
2: went to Nashville and he went and looked and went,
1: this is the same shit. He's like, I left you for years
2: and you have the same things. Yeah. So for me, I think. Tovenin was let go for what? To me, Reinbacher would, his ultimate ceiling is probably an above average number three defenseman, but that's still a number three defenseman.
1: That's really good.
2: (laughs) No, that's really, really good. But I think there's going to be forwards with. First line potential available yeah. for them. So, uh, Reimbacher might, I know it's a boring conversation and we talk about this with a million people, but this might come down to a, you know, floor versus ceiling conversation on this pick because I, I agree with everybody else and every scout in the world. Reimbacher's got a very high floor, arguably the highest of anybody not in the top five of this draft. But I don't think that ceiling is, if, if I'm looking at ceiling, I don't know if he's top 15 in this draft.
0: I don't even understand really the conversation that people are having around untapped offensive talent. Because I don't, like guys who do are like amazingly fast skaters or super creative and and, and are playmakers. But I just don't really see that in the game. Like I see that in most siders game. I saw yeah. that as soon as they drafted him, you start watching it. Like he's had that untapped potential. When you watch... David Reinbacher, you kind of just see a guy who's extremely efficient and he puts pucks on net and they go in and or his teammates bank them in. It's like, like I just Brad don't said. see that like elite playmaking or like creativity to his game. It's like
1: Brad said, like he's playing a ton of minutes. So it's not it's not the same as uh Cider where they asked him really to focus on defense. And it's also it feels a little bit like you're you're wishing on a star oh, maybe there's offense like untapped offense there. It's like, okay, but based on what?
0: Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Yeah,
1: like you mentioned, Evan. So it's funny because as you were laying it all out, Evan, I was thinking about it and just trying to remove myself from what do the Red Wings need right now, which is offense. And I was like, man, an everyday top four defenseman who does everything pretty well, like defense really well, gap control really well, offense is like, is he Eric Carlson? No, but it's enough where he's he'll probably play on the power play to some degree. I'm like, okay, if you're not the Red Wings, that is an automatic pick at ninth overall, if he even makes it to you, which he, I don't think he will. I I, I think. I, I'm looking long and hard at Arizona and Philly for yeah. Reinbacher's landing spot. So what happens then? Like, is it even necessarily bad? And I'm going to be hypocritical based on my own analysis from a few minutes ago. If the Red Wings go hypothetically Reinbacher at nine, he falls to them. And then, you know, uh, they they score Matthew Wood or Oliver Moore or something at 17 or maybe they trade up from 17. You have an everyday top four defenseman and that offensive ceiling that you were looking for. Not only will I say that's not bad at all, like that's that's two pretty big birds with one stone.
0: Are we having the exact same conversation about how they have no superstar talent?
1: Probably. Yeah. yeah. Probably. So I I like Is that like, solvable at pick 9 though? Maybe.
2: It could be. There are players who who have legitimate first line upside. Not likely, like again, yeah, we yeah. we talk about ceiling versus percentage or likelihood of hitting said ceiling, but could Ryan Leonard hypothetically be Matthew Kachuk? Yes, that is in the cards. Will he I it's Matthew Kuchok. Look what he's doing. It's a long shot, but it's in the cards for him. Could I see David Reinbacher being Miro Haskinen? No, I can't. Despite the stylistic comparisons, the talent discrepancies there is too severe. Um, if I, I don't hate your logic. I still think my 9 and 17 logic is two forwards, but yeah. even if I'm going, I'm going the inverse because I think. The talent discrepancy between a f- the forward you could get at nine, so let's say more Leonard Dvorsky versus the forward you're going to get at 17, Richie, Jaeger, Wood, whatever, yeah, is greater than the discrepancy between Reinbacher and let's say Willander at 17. Totally agree. Totally right? agree. So yeah. it's, if you are dead set on forward and defenseman in the first round, which I am not, but if you are. For me, the logic is inverse. You take the forward at nine, you take the defenseman at 17. I would agree. And if you really want to get aggressive, you got three second round picks. If, if Reinbacher somehow makes it to 11 or Sandine Pelika is kicking around at 13, or if you just want to make damn sure you get Willander, you have the ammo to trade up. You can jump a couple teams to ensure you get one of the defensemen you want after snatching what. Hopefully, will be a surefire, productive top six forward that's going to help you on the score sheet.
1: Anyways, a month from now, we'll already have our uh, draft review episode out where we talk about why David Reinbacher being drafted to the Red Wings is a uh, perfectly fine pick. <laughs> hey, we did. Everyone
0: remain calm. <laughs> yeah.
1: We said it's acceptable. We oh, just oh, said yeah. it's not
2: preferred. Like, before I get radioed for this, am I going to flip a table if we pick him? No. It's uh, just not what how I would have done it.
0: It's, Should I look into the camera when I am uh, gonna get clipped? Yeah, do I look into the camera? Hey,
1: our, our good friends with the uh, the Red Wings media team, let us know if our hair is okay. On the, if my you name air- is
0: my name is Ryan Hanna, and I think David Reinbacher is a bad pick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my, my, Don't do that. There's people who get confused about our voices. Here. <laughs> yeah. yes.
2: My name is also Ryan Hanna, and I am dead set on not picking David Reinbacher at all in this draft.
1: My name is Prashanth Ayer, and I love trading up to pick goalies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, oh. you edit this podcast. It's all up to you. What, what goes out, That's all on you. You
1: know my editing MO when we get to the summertime. It stays in. <laughs> yeah. The, the red marker
0: gets put away. Oh
1: yeah. Speaking of uh of Prashant, his uh, uh obviously him and Sean launched the new show in the Winged Wheel podcast content universe, expected by whom they've released seven episodes now. The last one was with um previous podcast guests, uh uh Micah Blake McCurdy from Hockey Viz. Uh, excellent episode. Go give all seven episodes a listen. Their next one coming up is a big one. You are all going to love it. It's uh, planned to drop Friday morning. Tune in. If you don't already, give them a follow at By Whom on Twitter. Uh, really, really, really great. I'm excited for everyone to listen to that. Okay. That is our uh, David Reinbacher prospect profile. Intriguing player. Again, he's going to probably be the first uh, player to go or defenseman to go in the draft. Is it even a hot take to say Reinbacher, Sandine Pelica, and Willander are all gone by 17? I would almost bet on it. Yeah, right? Willander, the more I watch Willander, the more I'm like, ah. Well, Willander's making me at least
2: think about defensemen at 17. Yeah. They're, they're the only three defensemen that I, I, I have in my top 17, or like that I would consider in the top 17, um, for the Red Wings anyway. But yeah, I've... Um, The more I I read, you know, the, the rumors, the reports out there and look at a lot of rankings. Yeah. I don't think any of them are going to be there at 17.
1: Okay. Add Simashev in there. Are they all gone by 17?
2: Because I think Simashev
1: goes before Willander.
2: You think so? I, that's not what I've been reading lately. He's
1: getting a lot of noise around
2: him. Willander's been getting more though. Lately. And that's, and Willander's a late riser. So yeah, you never know on those, but I mean it's the NHL. Uh, if you told me that 3 out of every 4 picks are forwards for 7 for 16 picks, I wouldn't believe you, but I mean that would get you to four and that even feels forward heavy to me despite the fact that this draft is so obviously forward heavy. So yeah. I'm I would expect it to go down that way. Which again, for what I want to do in the draft if Steve if you're listening that plays very, very well to getting a lot of talent at Ford at 9 and 17.
1: Defensemen, always, you can always count on them to uh, ruin your your draft projections and mocks and models. We Our last mock, we didn't take a defenseman in the top 10. And the very, like, we knew we weren't going to do it because we did a little bit of who would we want to take. And v- the very obvious and correct feedback was, you yeah, dummies, you didn't take a single defenseman in the top 10. Fat chance.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm already mentally preparing um uh, my conversations about how Red Wings solved the entire second pair at nine and seventeen <laughs> by picking a left and right shot defenseman. Simashev uh
1: Reinbacher at nine and Simashev at seventeen, and we're ready to go. <laughs> and then congrats, our Carolina Hurricanes comparisons are coming to fruition quicker than we thought.
2: Boy, am I excited to watch a never ending stream of one nothing and two one games for the next ten years.
1: That's the prospect profile for this episode. We're going to stop before we go too far off the rails. Uh, Before we move to our next topic here, I want to let you know that this podcast uh, has a sponsor. Dear Winged Wheel Podcast listeners, I'm going to make you a bet. You haven't bought a Father's Day gift yet, have you? Don't worry. The leading global men's lifestyle brand has you and dad covered. I'm talking about our friends at Manscaped. They're saving the day yet again with the total package for the father figure in your life this year. It's time to upgrade his game from waist to face with this exclusive offer. Have him join the 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WWP at manscaped.com. Nobody grows a better playoff beard than dad, but that means he needs only the best tools to keep it groomed and ready for the cup finals. Tools like the ultimate Father's Day MVP, the Performance Package 4.0, which comes with the Manscaped Signature Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 and other bonus products in the kit, and we can't forget about the money maker. Manscaped has absolutely changed the game with their new Beard Hedger Pro kit for fathers around the world. We all know dads love their comfort. If his grooming routine is already dialed, make sure to hook him up with Manscaped's Boxers 2.0. These are without a doubt the best boxers for men of all ages. Whether he's mowing the lawn, taking out the trash, or golfing in the sun, these moisture-wicking boxers breathe without breaking a sweat. Again, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WWP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code WWP. Make this Father's Day one he won't forget with Manscaped. As we all predicted, the Stanley Cup finals feature, the Vegas Golden Knights, and that one wasn't actually a a bad prediction. I think a lot of people just didn't have them because they would have had to have gone through Edmonton. And uh, everyone wanted to see Edmonton win because that meant more Connor McDavid hockey. So, yeah, the Golden Knights are in, and credit to them. They proved a lot of their naysayers wrong. Uh, Connor McDavid who? And they did a good job. Uh, And Dallas was a good team. Like, I I don't want to discount. Like, Dallas was built as a team who could have been, you know, the spookiest, so, uh, so to speak, team in the league with the way they could play you anyway. So, they earned their way. And the other side is the Florida Panthers, just as we all thought it would be. Sergei Bobrovsky is revived as a goalie. Has found his Vesna form again. They are now a rested team. They dethroned the Boston Bruins, who had a historic regular season and then a historic failure in the first round. They took out the Toronto Maple Leafs, who were seemingly flying high because they finally shook the curse, only to make them look like the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then Carolina, who's getting better as the playoffs went on, and was a team who's you know uh, playing under probably the most motivating coach in sports up there with Dan Campbell probably you know anyone would run through all for Rod LaBod and uh Florida dispatched them in four games. No one saw this coming and I don't know how I'm still seeing Vegas as the favorite over Florida confidently in some people's eyes. That's just me. What do you make of the con- or the conference fight, the Stanley Cup finals and what are your predictions?
2: Well, first things first, I've been seeing a lot of it's did I see that Matthew Kachuk is the betting favorite for the Conn Smythe right now?
0: I think I saw something like that as yeah, well. Yeah, either
2: way, he's like it's like 50-50 in most people's eyes. And I, I need to start by saying, I Matthew Kachuk is having an all-timer of a season. He's a, at worst a top three to five player in the world this year. And in the playoffs, he's only elevated. You're out of your mind if you think, as of right now, Bobrovsky isn't the Conn Smythe favorite. He has to be. He, Matthew Kachuk doesn't get his moments. Without Bobrovsky. The the Florida Panthers were one last second Sergei Bobrovsky save on Brad Marchand from not even getting to game yep. five
1: against Boston. Yep. And then none of Matthew Kachuk's heroics even occur. And he won the net. He He won yep. the net from Alex Lyon, who... Deservedly came in as the, the Florida Panthers starting goalie in the playoffs because Bobrovsky, since he signed in Florida, was not playing like a vesna quality goalie. He won the net and then beat some of the hardest teams in the NHL. Yeah. Bobrovsky's run right
2: now, again, the Stanley Cup final could change it all if he turns back into a pumpkin at midnight. But to this point, it's the best run by any goalie in any playoffs since Jay Shigar in 03, full stop. There's been a lot of tremendous performances. Uh, then Carey Price a couple of years ago, Yarrow Halaka, 2010, you know, tons of performances like that. Bobrovsky's ahead of them at this point. It's So again, Matthew Kachuk, historic season, historic playoff, unbelievable. If he gets three more game winners and they
1: win the cup, I could see it for sure.
2: Yeah. But if Bobrovsky pitches like a shutout or two in there, I, I'm sorry, you're not beating the Vegas Golden Knights without Bobrovsky going con Smythe mode. Like you're just not. I love the Florida Panthers and they're a better team than an eighth place team usually gets recognized for, but they are not on paper better than the Vegas Golden Knights. But what they do have going for them is Sergey Bobrovsky versus Aiden Hill.
1: And immaculate vibes.
2: Yeah. So I like the Vegas roster better. I like the Vegas forwards better. I like the Vegas depth better. I like the Vegas defense better, but I like Sergey
1: Bobrovsky better. But it's funny that you say that. Bobrovsky's second in save percentage with 935. Aiden Hill is a 937 in his first. Bobrovsky is fourth in goals against average in the playoffs uh, with a 2.21. Aiden Hill is third with a
2: 2.07. All very fair, but when you actually look at quality of chance and uh, so translate yeah, yeah. that to goal save it above expected, they've had a very different workload.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's so, earned it. He's sweated it out.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I don't think Aiden Hill's a bad goalie, but he is not at Bobrovsky's tier right now. But, uh, and I know I, I referenced it last episode, and I'll reference it again. Down Goes Brown, uh, Sean McIndoo did a breakdown of previous Cinderella runs like this, and they almost all end in losing in the cup final because, you know, the goalie streak, even if the goalie streak doesn't continue like the O three 3 Ducks, they just, they can't compete with the best of the best of the best and, and their luck runs out. So I'm still going to take Vegas just because, you know, they're the better team. Simply put, they're the better team. Could Florida win the Stanley Cup off goaltending and vibes? Absolutely, it's within the cards. They could sweep Vegas. Wouldn't surprise me even in the slightest at this point. But I'm I'm going to pick with my, my head and not my heart, and I'm I'm going to go with Vegas here, and I'm going to say six games.
0: The one thing that Florida's kind of been able to do other than Bob standing on his head and Matthew Kachuk with some timely goals is they've just kind of bullied teams around a little bit. They, they, they push the line and are over it a lot and it's, it's really gotten under the skin of the other team. Well, Vegas is big. They play all four lines and they are not afraid of the physical play. Um, So I think that element isn't going to have as big an effect on Vegas as it has on every other team that Florida's ran into thus far. And like Vegas's fourth line plays like just a handful of minutes a game less than their top line. Like they roll everybody, and like that is gonna take a huge toll on the depth of Florida. You know i i find it uh, I find it hard to believe that Florida could pull this off and win this series. But i I probably said the same thing about the last three ones as well. So <laughs> what the hell do I know? I'm gonna go with my heart. Florida in six.
1: Oh six, we're going six. I'm also going with my heart here. I like i. I've been impressed with Vegas the entire playoffs. I've been impressed with them all season. Really, I'm a huge Jack Eichel fan. I love the win win aspect of the Buffalo Vegas trade. Um, I was really annoyed by people, you know, counting vague or um, uh, Jack Eichel down and out on his career way too early. So I love to see his story. Like you said, Evan, they roll four lines. William Carlson is. Probably the unsung hero for Vegas right now. Like,
0: Jonathan Marcia show comes out of nowhere and yeah. just scores timely goals. Like it's, Jack Eichel didn't even have a goal in the last series.
2: Yeah, but he had a bunch of assists and he was,
1: he set up some key goals.
0: Well, he didn't put them in the net. What I'm saying is like, they get scoring from everybody. In case oh, you he,
1: wonder what Evan values in the draft.
0: And not that, uh. Vibes.
2: And not That's that right. teams need extra motivation in the cup final. Cause obviously everybody's very motivated. But there's something to be said about Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcieau playing Florida
1: oh God. after
2: after the you take him and we'll give you him in the expansion draft
1: deal from Florida. And they yeah. turned out to be two cornerstones of Vegas. yeah, for context, Florida in the Vegas expansion draft paid Vegas to take them. They
2: gave I think I might have this backwards, but they basically gave Vegas Jonathan Marcieau. To take Riley Smith off their hands,
0: which made no sense because Marchessault was a good player on their team at the time. Yes, so, yeah. So uh, here we are, and uh,
2: yeah, the the motivation for Vegas is going to be very high. And at least from a, a neutral hockey fan standpoint, we're getting a first time Stanley Cup champ this year,
1: which is I love always that. a good time. I want to get to that. I love when that happens so much. As a Red Wings fan, it means the teams close to the Red Wings. Uh, if Depending on if you count Stanley Cups at all, I know it's in different eras, but Montreal, with their obviously they have a, a mile ahead, miles and miles ahead of a lead. How many do they have? 24, 28? 24. Uh, Detroit has 11 and Toronto has 13. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Detroit's third. So. Uh, Anytime a first time winner wins, it means uh, none of the existing winners uh, creep up on Detroit's count there. But in all honesty, as a hockey fan, it's just cool to see a a team, a franchise, a fan base get it for the first time. And to the Florida side of my analysis, I mean, what else can be said about Sergei Bobrovsky? He is a player. That's my line. Back uh, (laughs) off. It's it's the summertime. (laughs) We're we're licensing it. I want to see Bobrovsky win more than anyone else in these playoffs. Um. You love to hate him. He's not playing the Red Wings right now. So I'm watching Matthew Kachuk do his thing, like Carter Verhage going out there. He's another guy who was, you know, given away really, not really. Oh. Brandon Montour yeah. Well, well ha- emergence. Ha- Carter Verhage specifically. It's always fun to see Leafs cast offs hey. succeed. The Leafs have their success. It just happens for everyone but them. Yep. <laughs> Somewhere Steve is screaming about Tuca Rask right now.
0: <laughs> if you would have told me someone from the Atlantic would win the cup this year, I'd say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you wouldn't have thought Florida. And Florida would have not <laughs> been in the top four,
1: at least. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm also picking with my heart here. I think Florida's been a really fun story, but I'm not upset either way. I uh, I don't have any problem with Vegas as a new team winning it. I, I understand the expansion draft is set up in such a way where this team has a way easier time than other franchises who have been in the gutter. But at the same time, I think it's just the reality of today's NHL, and I it doesn't bother me so much.
2: No, I... I hate this retroactive look at the expansion draft being very favorable.
0: Boom, roasted.
2: It, no, but it's if teams had just not overthought this, Vegas would have got every team's eleventh best player.
0: Yeah, they really did butcher it.
2: But the teams just galaxy-brained this bullshit and gifted Vegas sh- the NHL galaxy-braining something. No, gifted no, no, no. Vegas: Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault and Shea Theodore. Like. Uh, the amount of, and William Carlson, the amount of stuff they got just by other teams being stupid is why the Golden Knights are as good as they are. And it had nothing to do with, you know, our expansion draft was too good. And if every team had just said, take our 11th best player. Yeah, they would have ended up with some good players because there are a handful of teams that had 11 really good players, but it would have just been that, but nope. NHL teams love to trip over and shoot themselves. So that's why Vegas is good. Cause look at Seattle. They didn't make the playoffs their first year. And then Vegas was super, uh, not Vegas, Seattle was super aggressive in free agency and that's more and trades. And that's how they got good. Mm -hmm. Like I, I will hear an argument for, yeah, it's not as fun for a team that hasn't, you know, been around for so long to already have their second Stanley cup final. Sure. I get it's not fair, but my argument to that would be tell your team to suck less (laughs) <laughs> You've had more opportunity. It's not there. It's not Vegas's fault that you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, but yeah, the expansion draft was not set to like make a Stanley Cup contender out of the gate. Like I just, I do not accept that argument.
0: Vegas has such a cool or interesting sort of character arc. They go from this expansion team that makes the Cup final like the first year, everybody's all fired up for them, and then they start just letting guys go, trading them all. At- Players everywhere, sort of becoming uh, the team people started to love to hate, and then they freed Jack Eichel. So, it, and they've had all the uh, the playoff heartbreak. Um, so they've had a lot of experiences in five years. Um, yeah. It's just very interesting to see the progression of that uh, that organization in such a short amount of time.
2: And the one thing I will say, if you're a fan of like chaos and entertainment and you don't like this, you know, old hockey man GM. You want Vegas to win because they are the most aggressive team in the NHL in terms of trades, acquiring players, whatever they have to do to acquire better players. They did.
0: They basically had to fake the cap for like half the year last year, right? Yeah. With Mark Stone being out and um, Robin Leonard, all that situation. So yeah, that whole <laughs> that organization has not... It's has not been a dull story. Yeah, it's not been dull whatsoever. We'll see how it goes.
1: I, I Again, depending on how you feel, I, there's going to be a, an exciting winner either way, depending on which story you like more, but I'm, it's going to be a good one. And you know what? Without diving in t- into it too much, it's really good for the NHL that it's two, you know, quote unquote, non-traditional hockey markets. This yeah. is how we grow the game unironically. Yeah,
2: n- legitimately. Um, you're not getting any new fans if the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup because- all of Ontario, for the most part, cheers for the Leafs. You're just you're, you're just,
0: actually probably getting less fans because when the city burns down, there's going to be casualties.
2: <laughs> fair, very good point. Um, and you know, a fun market like Vegas, because it is important to note that city fully embraced that team from day one. A, a city, a team we thought would be propped up by tourists, not even remotely. So, you know, you you can talk about
1: it's only been six years, but man, they back their team. All right, uh, let's move on quickly here. More NHL news. Uh, The coaching and GM carousel continues. The Washington Capitals bring back Spencer Carberry, who was uh, just recently an assistant coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I think a pretty big loss for the Leafs, but uh, Washington got their guy. I think they gave him a longer contract, a four-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, Carberry goes to Washington. Andrew Burnett is hired away from the uh, New Jersey Devils where he was uh, laying in wait for Lindy Ruff to be fired and that obviously didn't happen. And so uh, I think Barry Trotz got a good one in Burnett. Um, i like to see him get another chance. Funny how things shook out with Florida, of course, but uh, I think Burnett did really well there. Hines is obviously uh, out of a position, which is unsurprising. Uh, The Toronto Maple Leafs do what was expected and they hired Brad Tree Living and at the same time it's reported that uh, Sheldon Keefe may actually keep his job and I have to say the end result of the Leafs season being they won a first round they lost a second round so spectacularly that it actually almost negated the the goodwill from winning the first round Kyle Dubas lost his job because of that and Sheldon Keefe potentially keeps his is an insane outcome that even throughout the insanity of what is, you know, Leafs hockey, I would say, mm, no, that one's made up.
2: Yep. And, uh, as a fan of a team from the same division, love, love this timeline
1: for the Leafs.
0: For Living's not afraid to make blockbuster moves. <laughs> no,
1: no. And, uh, a, a lot of people are asking a very good question, which is what Does his experience with Johnny Goudreau and him eventually walking for nothing, how is that going to inform on how he handles Austin Matthews?
0: A lot of learning experience. Matthews has the
1: way more leverage, which is insane to say because Goudreau is a 100-point player, but Matthews, is it's a whole other tier above. By all rights, he's not going to sign before his no-trade clause kicks in. Why would he? Is he going to come in and trade him?
0: You're not going to lose those guys for nothing. But
1: can you trade Austin Matthews right now? If
0: your balls are the size of this room, you will do
1: it. (laughs) He might have big brass ones and do it. I don't know. Very obviously, the structure in Toronto has been brought to light. Everyone suspected it might be the case, but Shanahan's really calling the shots here, or at least way more shots than, than people would anticipate. I don't think Dubis was a puppet by any means, but you know he had to run everything up the ladder and had to come back down the ladder. So that is what it is. I don't want to say tree living is just a yes man, but anything that's going to happen is going to happen in concert with, with not just ownership of Brendan Shanahan. So I don't know. I have no problem with the hire. I think based on what's out there, if you're not going to go for one of the assistant GMs, like uh, a Ventura or a a Tulski in Carolina or something, then there's nothing wrong with tree living. I thought he did a fine job in Calgary, some really good stuff, some really bad stuff. I think you can win a cup with him as GM. It just depends on a lot of other things, but (laughs) <laughs> it's a big decision and almost a like a, the hockey gods are laughing, putting him in this spot with Matthews being just a juiced up version of the Goudreau situation.
2: Yeah. It, it, I'm happy you phrased this specifically as, has he learned from it? Because Goudreau, he wanted to keep it. Like he took that down to the wire and made the wrong decision there. And Kachuk forced his way out. Now, obviously he made, you know, Kachuk
1: handled it very professionally though. Yeah, yeah.
2: and But Kachuk forced his way out. So Tree Living had no choice but to trade him. So, you know, it's not like he, he just woke up on a whim and said, time to re reshape this team. He, he did not have a choice. So, yeah, obviously he's seen it go poorly. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he repeats his mistakes or if he's learned his lesson.
1: Shanahan is... This is, I think, whatever happens next, though, is squarely on Shanahan. I don't care if Tree Living comes in and makes three blockbuster trades, and the only one left standing from the entire core for is Tavares and his anchor of a deal. Anything that happens from here on out, in the eyes of ownership, and especially in the eyes of the fans, is on Shanahan.
0: Well, as you change coaches, change GM, like eventually the the crosshairs land on you, and there's nowhere for Brendan Shanahan to hide anymore. It's he's the last link in this. And the Shanna plan. Yeah. So it it's it's this is the time.
1: It's very jarring for someone who is a, a a big Shanahan fan growing up that this is now his legacy. This is what people remember more than the 500 goal scorer or
0: the Red Wings legend, the,
1: power, the one of the last true power forwards. Um for me this is
0: all very weird. I'm I'm glad that it's that way for you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that, Evan piece of shit uh regardless actually you want to know what my funny prediction is boston pizza gets renamed to toronto pizza i think (laughs) i think now is when the leafs actually start to find success and it's a question of is this tree living in shanahan or is this just the natural progression of the talent on the team (laughs) yeah and currently dubis is in this holding pattern where some people are saying he's going to take the pittsburgh job some people are saying he's waiting on ottawa Ottawa fan growing up, I think Ottawa local. Wait, um, what's
0: wrong with Pierre Dorian? Or is it a president of hockey ops position?
1: uh, There's no guarantee. It's going to be up to new ownership, and generally they might want to bring in their people.
0: They didn't have a summer of Pierre, I guess. Yeah, too hot.
1: Pierre's too hot. I think that's the issue. That's true. Pierre hasn't been the same since you almost clocked him in the kitchen or odd (laughs) hallway. That
0: was really the the divergent of two timelines. He didn't miss after (laughs) I ran into him. So you're welcome.
1: Pierre, small Domino, Pierre Dorian, and Kitchener takes a corner too tight on the second floor of Arena. Big Domino, uh, uh, he makes a trade for uh, Alex Debrinket and brings him over from Chicago, and that's all because of Evan.
0: I There's no other way to explain it.
1: We'll see what else happens uh, as the uh, coaching cycle goes on. As we mentioned, Calgary has to hire for Sutter's re- replacement and is on that list. Um, we'll see where that goes. All right, uh, we're going to jump into overtime uh, Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Again, it's proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. The bonus episodes, the Discord, the giveaways, and lots lots more are your benefits. Uh, you help support uh, our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight to end substance use disorder. Uh, you help support the growth and ongoing production of this show and our expanded content universe, Uh, Like the show, Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Ayer and Sean Shapiro. So again, patreon.com slash Podcast if you want to be extremely generous and support the show. A question here from Udalali says, if you could change the divisions, how would you map them? I'm not going to get into the uh, specific teams, but I want the closest thing we can get to replicating the previous one through eight conference seating for playoffs. And so if that means four divisions of four in each conference, then I'm all for it.
2: Yeah, I don't care if it's one big division of 16 teams or yeah, I, I want that playoff format back. I Honestly, I don't have much of an issue with how the divisions are shaped up right now and I don't really know any tremendous way to reshape them that uh, changes anything dramatically, even from a Red Wing standpoint. If you look at the uh, Eastern Conference, which I never want the Red Wings to go back to the West, the uh, only team that's ever really kind of been a rival of theirs that's in the Metro is Pittsburgh. Everybody else you would want Detroit to play constantly, Montreal, Boston, Toronto, and even this emerging rivalry with Tampa Bay, they're all already in the division. So I'm, I don't know how much I would change, honestly.
1: Uh, Frank the Tank says, hey guys, if you could choose only one of the following halls from the first round picks, which would you choose? You walk away with Benson and Barlow, Moore and Jaeger, Leonard and Wood, or Sandine, Pelica and Perot. Ooh. It's definitely one of
2: the middle two for sure for me. It was Moore and Jaeger and Leonard or Leonard and Wood. That's tough. Moore
0: and oh. Jaeger's decent. Uh, that leaning that way.
2: That's the one I'm going with. Two centers, um, two very different players. You get more of a shooter in Jaeger, you get the speedster and Moore. Because again, centers can go to the wing, but centers who can play center are the most valuable players position in hockey so yeah if I had to pick between those it would be more and Jaeger although I'm I'm taking a long hard look at um, Leonard and Wood
1: I'm kind of leaning Leonard and Wood I, I know I'm huge on more and I'm huge on getting a center but Leonard and Wood like that's a lot of upside especially with Wood if, that's, if you're a believer in Wood then that might be the way to go yeah
2: I, I love both those players and on talent I I think I'm Right there, as I am with uh, Moore and Jaeger. Maybe even a, a touch more talent to Leonard and Wood. But that's two wingers. I would, if we're picking two forwards, I. it's not a necessity for me. And if that was the outcome of the actual draft, I'm over the moon. But ideally, I'd want at least one center between the two. So if it was like Moore and Wood, yeah. that would be perfectly okay with me. Or Leonard and Jaeger, whatever.
1: Brad, hot stuff coming through Crisco says, not that I'd ever wish anything nice for Toronto, but given what we've seen Bob do this playoffs, wouldn't a hockey trade of Marner for Hellebuck make a lot of sense? Hellebuck wants to go somewhere to win. Leafs have always needed a goalie. The money should work out even with a new contract for Hellebuck so long as you get it done before Marner's no move kicks in. He has no choice. Cheers, boys. Um, The Leafs may think so. I think Hellebuck is absolutely someone they have their eyes on. I just have a hard time thinking if you have an every season, 100 point superstar winger playoff performance aside. And I think he did a lot better this year. Getting a goalie for him just seems underwhelming. No, as a return. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, Aiden
2: Hill is the other goalie. Like you can get a mediocre goalie and still make a cup run. Hell, the Red Wings did it. How many times? Um, not that Oscar was mediocre, but he wasn't a superstar. Yeah. Um, so I don't... I'm I'm not a fan of big dollars for a goalie. I'm just not. You can find perfectly adequate cup-capable goalies for a lot less, and I sure as hell am not giving up a player of
1: Mitch Marner's caliber to get a goalie. Uh, GH says, thinking about all the draft profiles over the years, are there any players that stand out for you as the biggest over- or underperformers based on your personal assessments? Uh, Lafreniere and Byfield for me always stand out. I still... But I feel like I I think it's too early to to say, but I I thought he might be better earlier. And Lafreniere, that one drives me nuts. I still feel like something is in the water with the Rangers. Like,
0: Kako's lumped right in there with him. Yeah, he's done better last
1: season and and there's less concern about Kako now. Well, hey, Peter LaViolette might be coming in and we know he is just exceptional with the young players. (laughs) They're interviewing John Hines, which might be a, hey, at least it's not Hines. So Laviolette looks great in a view. But yeah,
2: I'll, I'll go Lafreniere for me. Because with Byfield, I expected more, but I, I remember distinctly talking about this exact scenario being a risk with him. Yeah, Like, was he just so good in the OHL because he was just so much bigger, stronger, and faster than everybody? And when the players catch up to him, he struggles. And that has happened. Lafreniere, I thought, was a lock to be a star. Um, so he's my biggest uh, underachiever, overachiever. so. That could be a lot of lists. Like it's mm-hmm. anybody who we had ranked outside of the top 10 that have turned yeah. into stars. Uh, Maybe Lundell. No, we were pretty high on him. We I drafted him twice. we uh, yeah. did, yeah. Matt Boldy jumps to mind for me. Yeah. We were definitely too low on
0: him. Thomas we, Harley is uh, becoming a, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say superstar, but he's certainly had an emergence this playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. The, that
1: the overperform, there's going to be way more of those just by nature if you're not going to pick out every good player. What
0: about Barrett Hayden, overperformer?
1: <laughs> oh wow, you look like talk- at
2: one half of one season, definitely. You want to talk about underperformer? Jeez. Yeah, don't. Let's not let's look let's at not, 2018. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry, Frank the Tank also had one more question. Uh, Evan, what's the best round of 18 you ever shot?
0: 70. And right. I had an eagle on the final hole to break break par.
2: But you said you never had an ace, and that's the only way you're getting is on a par three course.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was actually the front nine.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I've never had a birdie, and uh, I almost chipped it in for eagle the the last round.
0: Almost is a very uh, subjective term. It is. I mean, it is.
1: And you know what? <laughs> We're nice to our
0: friends on this podcast. And then you made par, and then I said, this is how you make a birdie, and then I drained my putt.
1: You did. Actually, it was ice cold. <laughs> I was really mad at you. <laughs> but I've I've had obviously
2: uh, a f- more than a few birdies in my life. I've never had an Eagle, but I, I legit almost had an Eagle. It went in and out of the cup. That counts. If it's in, if that happened
1: to me. I'm just, I almost snapped my club over yeah. my knee. Like I was so <laughs> 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 angry. and Datsuk says, what's been your favorite playoff series this year? So far for me, it was Colorado, Seattle in the first round, but there've been so many good ones. It's hard to choose. I hope the finals live up. Colorado, Seattle is a great answer. I think that might be the answer for me. Um, the second half of Florida-Boston was awesome.
2: Florida-Boston was the first one that jumped to my mind. Now I'm just kind of running through the rest to see if anything tops that, but I, I think I'm sticking with Florida-Boston.
1: Either Seattle series, so I'll go with the Colorado one, which is funny because neither of them are in the playoffs anymore, but that was an excellent series, and the, the context around it too.
0: For me, it's got to be Florida-Toronto. Oh, yeah. Toronto walk. breaks the curse. They, they're they free from the shackles, ready to make the run. And then here comes Florida and just bullies them into submission. <laughs> uh,
1: this one from Cody Stark. A nice message. Uh, preemptive congratulations to Cody. He says, introducing our newest Red Wings fan, Gordon Roger Stark. As much as I'd love to tell you that he was named after Mr. Hockey or Evan's favorite fictional movie character, Gordon Bombay. Those two take uh, place second and third respectively. He's named after grip. My grandfather, Gordon Stark, who fought for the good guys in world war two and rang a salvation army bell for decades. He passed away 20 years ago and I'm honored to name our newest winged wheel podcast family member after him. Mama Starko and big sister Elska are doing great. Cody, that is excellent news. We are happy to hear that, uh, uh mama Starko and Elska are uh, doing well. And, uh, welcome to the world. Gordon, congratulations, Cody, twice a dad, Brad, any advice? I, I wish I had some. I was at uh, Godspeed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, people jo- people joke to me when uh, when Hank came along. Yeah, ch-
1: doubling the kids is tripling the work. I thought it was a joke. I will tell you from the outside, we saw it when you had Mika. I was fully expecting you to like lose all your energy. And I, Evan and I, used to talk to each other and say, "How is he still bouncing off the walls? It's a little nutty." And then you had Hank. <laughs>
0: and, and yep, there it is. Oh,
1: well, yeah, You can see the exact moment all the life drained out of him.
2: One, the big difference is with one kid, when Mika was sleeping or boring or just doing whatever, I could relax. I had nothing else I needed to worry about. If she went for a nap, I could go for a nap. If she was just quietly playing with her toys in the corner, I could sit on the couch with my feet up and watch TV. Now, 99 out of 100 times when one kid is not requiring attention the other one is yeah so that downtime just completely disappears because you're always doing something with one of them and it's not even that it's physically exhausting it's mentally exhausting because you just you're never it's hard to able it to off yeah. yeah that off switch just doesn't exist till you go to sleep at night
1: and yeah. even then <laughs> it's not always it's hard for brad he's in a house with three people and a dog smarter than him
0: I guess yeah. now's a bad time to say I'm taking Friday off to just play a video game all day. <laughs> <laughs> He
1: almost killed you. <laughs> all right, last question from Bill and I, the thigh guy it says, let's uh, say in some alternate universe you win the cup and you get it for 48 hours uninterrupted. Who is the first person you're sending a picture to celebrate with it? Where is the first place you're taking it? Cheers, boys. Oh, that's yeah, my dad. He was, my mom and my dad both, but my dad, like, he was the one up waking me up at 530 in the morning to play, to go to practice and stuff and, Taking it back to uh, sunny Windsor, Ontario, celebrating with him. And uh, there's NHLers from Windsor. So the Cubs have been there plenty of times, but right across the river from Detroit. But yeah, that's, uh, it'd be a family thing for me. The upside of kids,
2: that'd be the best thing ever to be able to share with your kids. So straight yeah. home to hang out with Hank and Mika and Crystal on that one and let them do whatever they want with it. And uh, I'm not a huge party guy. So like, Quiet, forty-eight hours with the family. Have some family and friends over. Just kind of chill out. You know, I don't even know if I would ever take it out of
1: the house. I'd eat poutine out of the cup.
0: I would get absolutely buckled with the boys <laughs> and my, and then ha, and a party with party with friends and family, and then just some quiet time. Punt it into the canal for good old time's sake. Get a cottage somewhere and get yeah. absolutely destroyed.
1: It's going to be at the bottom of Lake whichever Lake that you're staying in. Yeah,
0: Lake NASA. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, we're going to uh, wrap, up, wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We are going to be back with you on Sunday with our next episode. Again, be sure to keep your uh, eyes and ears peeled for the uh, next episode of Expected by Whom, uh, which will come out before our next show. Uh, it's going to be a really good one. Uh, awesome guests that they have coming on. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners. The sponsors of this episode, Manscaped. Uh, anyone who's tuning in for the first time, welcome. And those of you who have been around for a long time, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, all of our patrons, it means the world, and our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, We Are Geelong, The Greatest Team of All, Glenn Brabham, the Hat 123 Colton Dietrich, Kinano Donahue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Cider for Norris, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landeskog, Brad Allotithi Crisco, Carl Bertanin and Chimmy, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets, and Anywhere but Tempe, Dad, Please Come Home, It's Been Five Years, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight, Probert, Hockey Town Matt, Hassan Al-Khassam, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red Three, Ryan Hanna, but spelled wrong, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciates About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitzka, Adam Rose, Brad Hot Stuff Coming Through Crisco, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor Layton and Corey Preeta, Darren Fick, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Evan's Lost Rangefinder, Frank Stanley, in a Lemon, All My Homies Use Button a Lemon, uh gene sullivan grand rapids hockey guy griffy boy instructions unclear cheese bag no longer fresh james laporte jeremiah adobo jm rhapsody john evans john Ingalls, josh yelton kevin mccracken quaz linda hull maximilian melissa erickson ophelia steven tatar Sauce, the ho dag and whoop doo yoo-hoo poo-poo thank you for that and we'll talk to you sunday